Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Ohio State's Sport Management Association YouTube channel. Today we are beginning a series in which we are interviewing alumni of our graduate program. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Gavin. Today we are happy to be here with Urban Meyer, a 1988 graduate from the Sport Management Program here at The Ohio State University. Coach, thanks for being here and how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks for having me uh, join you guys. Yes, yeah, so Coach, we're going to get right into it here. Um, when did you decide you wanted to work in sports? And uh, give a brief description of your career journey. And how did you end up where you are today? Well, sure. I, I knew uh, at a very young age, sports just dominated my life. You know, I was a baseball, football, basketball as far back as I can remember. Um, and all the way from collecting football and baseball cards to that was everything I did and really little interest in other things. And then I started to grow up and, and I started studying coaching because I just really was amazed. And, you know, it was back in the Tom Osborne, Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden, uh, that era, Woody Hayes, Bo Shem Beckler. And so I just studied coaches and, and I knew I wanted to stay in athletics as long as possible. And, and uh, genetics got in the way a little bit. I wasn't uh, athletic enough to go on to uh, be a professional. I was a professional baseball player for a couple of years, but not football. And then got into coaching, and it started, uh, ironically, in a sports management program at Ohio State in 1986. So, and that's the, uh, and then I can go, uh, obviously, a long, a long career after that. Coach, from being in your program for a few years there, you always mentioned how much pride you took uh, from being in Ohio and attending Ohio State. For the people out there who don't know, uh, what does Ohio State mean to you? And then what three words would you use to describe Ohio State? Oh, great question, Gavin. Uh, Ohio is different. You know, I've, I've been everywhere in this uh, country, I believe, you know, maybe not everywhere, but darn close everywhere. And, uh, you know, I think we're all products of how you grew up. I, I couldn't have been more happy than growing up in Ashtabula, Ohio, and that's right outside of Cleveland. Um, had a great family, had incredible coaches and teammates along our journey. We had great success. And it was a high school that, you know, most uh, high school uh, career and experience that uh, many can only dream of because I just had a lot of fun, a lot of great friends. And like I said, we won a lot and learned a lot of life lessons. And my parents were at my games and it was, it was really incredible. Uh, Ohio, you had to say three words, you know, Ohio to me is, um, yeah, this is what it is. I think it's uh, team first. I think it's toughness and a premium on education. That's what I used to always talk about Ohio State. Woody Hayes would always talk about that. And that's, I always believed in that. You know, it's a premium place on education, tough people, and team first. And that's kind of what I learned back in the 70s, 80s, and then all throughout my career. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more from being uh, from Ohio myself. Uh, you mentioned starting the sport management program here at Ohio State in 1986. And as an 1988 graduate, what are some of your favorite memories of your time in the sport management program here? Oh, man. the, the uh, I'm trying to think of the guy that ran the – Ted Coates. Ted Coates was the uh, in charge of the sports management program, and all of our GAs went through the program, and he, he was awesome. And uh, uh, spent a lot of time with him. I really – undergrad was really hard for me. I mean, I got good grades, but I, to say I really enjoyed my classes, some I did, some I did not. You know, as I got towards my major, I did. Uh, I can say I, I loved all my classes in grad school. And we took stuff from sport law to uh, facilities to 
I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, motivation classes, psychology classes, and you know, just the, uh, it was really incredible. So I obviously got great grades because you have to in, in grad school, but I, it wasn't one of those things I didn't look forward to going. I, I actually enjoyed smaller classes, great engagement, great conversation, and great learning experience. Awesome. Yeah, I think we can all agree with that, even still today. So now we see you on Fox Sports as a college football analyst, a co-host of the Focus 3 podcast, and you're an assistant athletics director here at OSU. So how was the transition into these roles, and what was the importance to you of staying involved at Ohio State? Another great question. Uh, it's, it's been great, I, and thank God. I, I was worried that, you know, I had a 35-year career. Uh, my family, you know, the way I've always done things is they're completely engaged, and there's no separation. The way we work, and Gavin can attest to this, that my daughters and my son and my wife were uh, always around and, and very engaged, and it was very, you know, very hard. Uh, it was fantastic. It was great, but it was also, when you take on a job, that you are completely consumed by, uh, that in, impacts everyone. And that, I'm not just talking about coaching, I'm talking about doctor, I'm talking about, you know, teachers, um, everyone that uh, have, you know, very important jobs, uh, you get consumed. So uh, being involved in the state of Ohio, I love my experience growing up here. I love the state of Ohio, always will. Look forward to the day someday when I could come back and and uh, I really, you know, get along well with our AD, Gene Smith. And obviously, we handpicked Ryan Day, was on my staff. And I, I was the one that said, you know, this is a guy that should be our next head coach. And so great relationship there. We'll always have that. So what do you think is going to be the difference between your first year in these roles and the upcoming season? Oh, just more experience. You know, I, I think television was something that uh, I did before and it was, you know, I was a little apprehensive about doing it because if they had me be someone that I'm not, I probably still wouldn't be doing it, but they let me and Fox is fantastic. Fox uh, college football. And uh, uh, I love my co-host, you know, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, Brady Quinn and Rob Stone. And I actually look forward to going and hang out with them and uh, look forward to seeing them soon. I hope. Awesome. What do you think is the biggest change coming in collegiate athletics? Oh boy, there's going to be changes. Uh, I talked about this the other day. Um, there is so much going on right now in our world. It's a world that uh, I'm much older than you guys. And I don't, I can't remember any time in history uh, experience in what we're, what we're going through. And I'm just talking about this, what happened in the pandemic and then the social unrest with the, uh, police issue with George Floyd and uh, the protesting and writing and, and uh, empowerment of the student athlete, which I knew was coming, but I didn't think it'd be coming this fast. But within a year, players will start getting name and likeness and uh, the ability to transfer anytime you want. So I, I think there's big changes. I can't tell you exactly what it is. You know, I just, I think anytime you talk about college sports, you talk about recruiting first, how will all this impact recruiting? I'm anxious to see. You know, I'm anxious to see if uh, the inducements of getting, you know, whether it be shoe contracts or billboards or car dealership, whatever it may be. But if you were actually, you know, and there's an antitrust lawsuit out there right now that says you can't limit. Uh, so if Gavin Cup wants to come in and as an athlete, football player, any sport and go earn money, he can. 
And you just want to, how do you regulate that? And how do you keep that somewhat consistent amongst your team? Because that's going to be very hard. Yeah, that was a huge topic in our class this year with Gene Smith. Really got into that. So what has been a highlight of your career thus far? Coaching or period? You choose. Period? Um, highlight of my careers. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things I'm very, very proud of. And one is that uh, I was able to do what I did for 30, almost 35 years. Um, you see a lot of, I don't want to say families torn apart because that's not true, but just so much stress put on families and to know that I have the strongest family. I can't imagine a stronger family. Three wonderful kids, two grandkids. So the fact that uh, the family, the Meyer family is intact and as strong as ever. Uh, but I, I had to say, if you had to say what's uh, the cherry on top is the fact we went 7-0 and against those guys up north. <laughs> there we go. And everybody would probably understand that. I know the guy, that big dude sitting up uh, next to you, understands <laughs> Absolutely. You forgot to mention uh, signing Gavin Cup in 2016. <laughs> that was number three. Was oh, right. man, just missed. <laughs> uh, we're going to switch topics here a little bit. Um, Coach, who is uh, your biggest role model and why? Biggest role model, you know, is my father. You know, my father uh, was a hard worker, extremely intelligent guy. Never missed any of our kids' events. And I look back now, and that kind of got me a little bit because I would miss events and you know, I just, I didn't want to become one of those old guys sitting around that maybe a couple of trophies or rings or whatever. And you look back and you missed your kids grow up. And I did it. I missed some things, but you know, this Gavin, I worked really, really hard at that. Um, so I, I and him, uh, he's very strong in his faith. His family was everything to him. He even, uh, you know, sacrificed some of his career for his family. So my father. Absolutely. I can see that, you know, from being in your program, you know, that really, meant a lot to you. Um, we know we hear from hearing from you, your phrase above the line, uh, also the title of your book. Can you explain what it means to be above the line and how students can practice being above the line? Sure, that ties in with the whole R factor and that's that you can't control the events that take place in your life. That's going to happen. Um, you'll have hundreds of events every day. Uh, you can control how you respond. God gave us the greatest gift of all and that's the gift of choice. And so whenever there's an event in your life, uh, you can choose how to respond. And that will usually directly affects the outcome. For example, you go out and have three glasses of wine at dinner and you decide to get behind the car, uh, wheel of your car and drive home. That's a bad, that's a, I'll get to above line, below line in a minute, but you had an event and you made an impulsive decision. I'm going to get behind the wheel of the car where um, above the line is I flip the keys to someone else and make them drive or else I get an Uber home that's with purpose and intentional so above the line is making decisions above the line which is intentional with purpose well thought out below the line is impulsive autopilot and we're impulsive beings you know we're, we're broken people and i can't tell you i'm sure gavin you recall and and uh in in how many players i've had that made impulsive below the line decisions and their life will never be the same and that's uh that's a shame. And then there's other ones where, you know, a guy, his girlfriend cheated on him and he called his coach in the middle of the night and he looked at his E plus R equals O wristband and he made an above the line decision. I'm going to call my coach instead of going to get in a fight or beating people up or 
that would have ruined people's lives. So there's above the line decisions, below the line decisions. That's definitely something that you taught us that, you know, always goes through my mind, you know, every day, something you always got to think about with everything you kind of do, especially in the big decisions and events that come up. Um, maybe talk about uh, your phrase, be the one. Sure, be the one in, in society. And really, it's been this way. I, I don't want to those old guys say, well, today. But it seems like everyone's asking for titles and everyone's asking for money. And one of the blessings I had in life is, you know, I, I, talent was questionable. But the one thing I always wanted to be is the one. And that means on fourth down, I wanted to be that player that the coach trusted. When I became a coach, an assistant coach, I wanted to be the, the one. I wanted when there was a big decision made, I wanted that head coach to say, hey, Coach Meyer, what do you think? And I took great pride in when that happened. And so what happens, and I always tell the story of fourth down and you were there, fourth and one against our rivals uh, in the overtime, only uh, overtime ever in that great rivalry. And what happens is the official looks at you and he winds the clock. And that means you have 40 seconds until that ball snapped. And when you have decisions like that, you're not really equipped. In my opinion, you're not equipped to make that by yourself. God didn't create us to make decisions by ourselves. So what's that coach do? First thing he does, he's got to make a decision whether to go for it or kick a field goal. I would always flip over and I talk to one person on my staff. I wouldn't talk to 10 of them or 20 of them or even four of them because I didn't care what the others thought. I cared what this guy thought. And I considered him being the one. And the qualities out there in society right now and I use this once again in my class all the time. Society actually wants you to believe that the, being the one has something to do with your skin color, your background, your, uh, your gender, your sexual preference, your, you know, I, I'm, I, I get amazed when I hear all this stuff, Gavin, because you know in a football locker room, none of that matters. Who cares? On fourth, if, on fourth and one, I'm not certainly asking someone, hey, are you Jewish or Christian? Because to be honest with you, that's your business. You know, uh, or I'm not... I'm not going to say, hey, let's run a, let's, let's give it to a black kid versus a white kid. I mean, what are you out of your mind? They, no, you're going to give it to the one. And the qualities of the one are uh, elite competitor, can I trust you, and are you tough? Those are the three qualities I've always looked for in the one. So when I get fourth and one, the first person I talk to is one assistant coach that I can really trust his opinion. And then I go, I have to make a decision who's going to execute the assignment. And we all know who did, this kid named JT Barrett who I thought was one of the toughest competitors I've ever been around in my life. And I knew he would get the job done. So once again, that's what it means to be the one. If you are the one, keep working to keep it because people want your job. If you're not the one, figure out why. Absolutely. Um, how have your values and beliefs guided you throughout your career and have they changed at all throughout your time? Well, they, I've adapted. Uh, my father, once again, I came from a very strict family, a very, uh, great family. Uh, I remember my father sat me down when I was about six years old and we talked about core values and they're very similar core values that I've had with every program I've been in and making a mistake is one thing, but breaking a core value is kind of who you are. And he made it very clear to me that a core value, you know, he'd help me in anything, but if you ever broke a core value, it's time for you to leave because there's something wrong with you and the core values and beliefs. Remember what a value is. A value drives behavior. And there's concept values and there's core values. Concept is out there. It's, it's, it's in your head. It's, you know, it's from your cell phone. It's from people you hang with. It's music you listen to. It's, you know, it's the mob rule. It's a narrative. That's, that's concept values. Core values is in your heart. 
And so I always believed my core values or our core values were number one was honesty. And that if you can't have a relationship with someone, if he's not telling you the truth, uh, number two is treat one with respect. You know, that's something that that's, as I would share with our players all the time, that's not something you say, my bad. I didn't mean to do that. That there's something wrong with you. If you can, um, put your hand on a woman and, and disrespect a female. Number three was on no stealing. You know, that separates us from you know, an animal. You know, you just, you, that's a you know, cardinal rule. That's don't take what's not yours. Number th four, I changed a little bit and that was drugs. You know, I never really, early in my career, I'd get rid of people for using drugs and I saw how uh, cast catastrophic that was for some. So we put them in a lot of counseling. I never got rid of a player for drugs. Sometimes they got rid of themselves, but I never did. And then the last one was no weapons. I added that. I adapted because there was a time in a place I was coaching where people started thinking it was important that they carry guns. And I know that you're allowed to, uh, but I wasn't going to allow you to play football if you did that. So those are the core values. To me, everything else is a mistake. And we can work through a mistake. Yeah, I think everything you hit on there is um all great things that we could touch on in just daily lives, personally and professionally. So kind of expanding on that, what is leadership to you? How would you define leadership? Well, it used to be uh, my old definition that Gavin might remember, maybe not, but uh, when I had leadership meetings and I taught that's something I've been enamored with for many, many years is the old, I call it the seventies version is set a standard and demand all live up to the standard. That's what it used to be. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, your, your parents told you something and you, you were in big trouble if you didn't do it. Uh, same with a coach. You know, my job wasn't to really inspire. My job was to tell you what to do and you better do it. That's changed. And it's gradually changed. It's completely changed. So now the new, I, I call it the new and you know, improved uh, definition of leadership is number one is you have to earn trust. Earn trust and with great clarity, set standards and then equip and inspire those to live up to those standards. So the three hot buttons are earn trust, equip, and inspire, as opposed to the first definition was demand. No, there's a big difference. Demands the old version, the new one, earn trust, equip, and inspire. If you can equip and inspire people, that you're officially a leader. Yeah, I was at your uh, student employee talk in the fall, and I remember you hitting on all these things. I have them written down next to me. Core concept, values, beliefs, be the one. So really? I love it. Uh, what, what are the what common... Was it, where was this at? What was it? Where was that at? It was inside... Where were we at? It was in um, Fawcett Center, downstairs. It was like November. This year? Yep. Oh, good. Why? You took good notes. You take better notes than Gavin. That's great. <laughs> I got a whole book of notebooks for my time. <laughs> so what are some common qualities among the best leaders you have been around? I talked about this on TV last night, especially now, and I've learned this, uh, especially nowadays. I think one of the most undervalued qualities of a leader is something that the great recruiters are listeners first. And going on with right now with what's going on, how much pain is going on in our country right now? The number one thing that a leader must do is listen. And I did that in 2017 when Colin Kaepernick first took a knee and when we had, uh, you know, riots and protesting and cities were burning and opiate issues. And I mean, Mike got the political climate that was out there. And I just, I wanted to hear from our players. 
you know, not all of them, because quite honestly, not all earn that right to share with me. Uh, but there are some that like Jalen Holmes, I'll never forget. I was very blessed. Racism wasn't part of my life. I didn't, I, I grew up in an area that we, it was fairly diverse, but we are in athletics. We never looked at anybody as other than a brother and a teammate. And Jalen Holmes really opened my eyes. And then so did JT Barrett and some others and Larry Johnson. So um, that really made an impact on me. And I was, you know, smart enough to say, you know what, this is not your wheelhouse. Learn and listen. And that's what we did. And Gavin, if I don't know if you remember what we did, the Wednesday before we played the team up north, we invited this Jalen Holmes idea. Uh, we invited many police officers in. We invited uh, a bunch of service, you know, firemen and medics. We invited a bunch of underprivileged kids from inner city. And we had a, about a two-hour lunch and dialogue, and it was incredible. And I, you know, Jalen Holmes came up to me afterwards. He goes, I'm so glad we did this because I never really sat down and talked to a police officer and really understood how hard their day really was. And uh, I think that's the answer. I really do. Listen. Yeah, I remember both of those instances there. I will remember for the rest of my life that meeting we had in that summer. Um, you know, a lot of these issues were new to me. Um, you know, I really didn't pay much attention to the news when I was out there growing up in high school and back home in Northwest Ohio, we don't really see those, a lot, a lot of those issues. And so I remember that meeting being so strong and just opened my eyes to what's really out there and then how cool it was to have that um, event the, the week of the Team Up North game. Um, remember just, Josh Perry, Josh Perry also, we had him speak to our team and this is, you know, he gave great advice. You know, we live in the greatest country in the world because of that you're allowed to do whatever you want. You want to protest, protest. You want to kneel down, kneel down, stand up, whatever you want to do. He said the thing, every action has a reaction or a consequence. Just understand and think it through. If you think it through, it's what you want to do and you can answer why you did that. God bless you. Go get it. I thought that was one of the, I even called him about two weeks ago. And I said, Josh, you need to, he might be talking to our basketball team. I'm not sure, but I just thought his advice was uh, exactly what we needed. I think that should be, you know, a national piece of advice. Yeah, that um, I'm like emotional. That hits home for me. My dad's in law enforcement. And wow. the biggest thing right now is for everyone, just like the initiative you talked about, for everyone to get together all walks of life and learn from one another. That's what's really going to help. Yeah, and God bless your father because there's, there's, bad, there's bad coaches out there. There's bad doctors, there's bad uh, firemen, there's bad teachers, there's bad policemen. And when there's bad policemen, that's called the rule of law. But don't, don't stereotype a policeman to be bad. You know, I, 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 Cause I have many friends, many former players. CJ Barnett is a CPD. I spoke at his graduation. I have a guy that's been a 20 year vet in LAPD from when I coached him at Notre Dame. And he tells me every day he gets up and he takes a picture of his wife and his two children and he sticks it right in his body armor. And he says a prayer as he sits down in his car. And uh, we'll tell your dad, thank you for what he does. I appreciate that so much, more than you know. Um, transitioning here, what would you think is the most important quality as a leader? Well, number one, I think nowadays is listening. And, and, and I think the ability to earn trust, you know, notice I said earn trust, not demand trust, but earn trust. The best coaches I've been around and when I've been at my very best, that team trusted me. You know, they knew. I didn't say it was going to be easy. Matter of fact, Gavin will tell you, it was really, really hard. And we took pride in being very hard. But at the end of the day, I'd be shocked if some player said, you know what, that guy had my back. That guy taught us, that, not and I say that guy, that, that program 
taught us about the value of hard work, about the value of being selfless and of respecting others, including, you know, I say this not being silly, but if I ever heard someone say negative things about a rivalry, I'd get, I'd get so, and Gavin knows this, I'd kill him. I'd be so upset with him because you don't, you don't disrespect people or even your rival. You uh, show respect. I didn't say you have to like them, but you have to respect them. Yeah, everything you kind of just said there, I think it all leads into that brotherhood. And that's what I really appreciated the most from being in this program. Um, kind of going back on the leadership topic, what leaders have helped you form your leadership philosophies? You know, I started at Ohio State. and Well, first my father. Uh, on, hold on a minute. On a, um, uh, my father, first of all, you know, there's no, no gray area. There's right from wrong. And Earl Bruce, and I also grew up in an era where, you know, the Big Ten, that's the reason why we never had compliance issues or cheating or some of the stuff you hear about. So I just learned about there was no gray area. And I'm very grateful to this day about that. It's very hard now. Uh, but there's right from wrong and do right. So those are the two people that mentored, excuse me, mentored me the most. Now, from uh, one of those two mentors, uh... What, else, what did you gain from their insight? Uh, number one was the right from wrong. And then the, both of them were very strong family people and strong in their faith. You know, and so when you start thinking about when the storm hits, what gets you through storms? Your family and your faith. If not, you're going to start looking at other places and sometimes they, not even more than sometimes, a lot of times when you look other places and family and faith, you're going to find some bad, uh, bad responses or bad bad characters involved. So those, those uh, and we all know that in life, especially at high profile positions, you know, they're going to be put in some tough situations, family and faith and do right. Regardless what the media says, and you experienced that at Ohio State, you know, regardless what the narrative, regardless, at the end of the day, do right. How do you convey the elements of leadership through your podcast? Well, I love Tim Kite. He's a very dear friend and he's, he's, uh, was my right hand man there for many years and his system, you know, it's a great saying that average leaders use quotes. Good leaders have a plan. Elite leaders have a system. And we, we had an incredible system. It was called the R factor. It was called the brotherhood of trust. And every year I took another, you know, just another piece of the a leadership strategy that I thought was pertinent to our team. And it was, became a, a flywheel. So, you know, Gavin Cup was in our program, I believe, five years. And every year he got our factor. And I'm sure every year he learned something. And then also the brotherhood of trust, the fundamental of being a teammate is trust. And so we teach people how to earn trust. And then I would pick like the edge or the chase or the win the moment or elite competitor uh, ownership. And I'm just giving you a few of them that I would personally do myself every summer with a team. And it was what I thought what might be the difference maker of the team and, you know, solve the mystery was the one in 2014. And the mystery is how do you put others ahead of self? And that was our whole mission. And it worked. Cardell Jones became a legend because he told me after the national championship, he said, I finally learned how to solve the mystery. So was there a specific moment or any time in your life when you began to realize the importance of culture and instilling these principles? Yeah, very early. You know, I didn't really say I completely understood it until, um, you know, when I, I really studied the Patriots. You know, why, why are the New England Patriots so good? 
I know they're they're probably the best quarterback of all time, but it's it's more than that. There's a lot of good great quarterbacks out there. And I studied them and I studied this guy named Bill Belichick and the other top guys and and the word culture kept coming to me. And then Tim Kite and I would spend an inordinate amount of time together. And culture is what's driven in, in times of adversity. You know, you're going to see some great teams come out of this thing stronger than ever. I got a feeling the Buckeyes are because the culture is unbelievable. You're going to see companies fold. It's not because it's a bad company. It's probably because it's bad leadership and a bad culture. And then I more studied it and I, I wanted to make sure our culture was crystal clear to everybody involved in it. So I, I really, the majority of my career, I studied it. The last half of it, I really understood it. Coach, we want to thank you again for your time. And uh, we're going to switch to some more, uh, some fun questions here. Uh, what does quarantine look like for you? Oh, I got it that uh, not shade. <laughs> you just saw me in Florida because there's no, I got stuck in Florida for seven weeks. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't care. I was playing tennis, working out, uh, you know, in great shape, eating right. I, obviously, I didn't see a barber uh, shave. So I, Shelly looked and said, oh, disgusting. I, looked, I didn't care because no one saw me. Uh, you know, it's, it's been great to spend time at home. I had a bunch of travel, a bunch of speaking, and instead I got to hang with my grandkids. And I know that's Ryan Day and I talked about that. Ryan Day's been eating every, every night with his family now for three months. When's a coach ever done that? So that's what it looks like to me. That's awesome. Uh, what are some of your all-time favorite sports memories? All-time favorite sports memories. Oh, boy. You know, I just, uh, our first national championship in 2006, ironically, we beat Ohio State and beat them badly, 41-14. Uh, Crushing a young Gavin Cup's heart. <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> and then you had the second national championship, we beat Oklahoma, Sam Bradford against Tim Tebow, just a legendary uh, game and, you know, obviously two great, great teams. And then winning our third one here, you know, when we beat Alabama, I mean, that was, uh, that's one that took your breath away. And uh, we'll never forget that. When Zeke Elliott put his left foot in the ground and Evan Spencer hit that linebacker and was out. That might, that's hard to top that one, Gavin. Yeah, it's, that's up there for me too. Um, and lastly, uh, what is your advice to incoming graduate students? Incoming graduate students. I close every class and I actually close every Zoom call with this is, and I want to make sure everybody understands this because I believe this is an objective truth. It's time tested, it's history, and it's proven by science that hard work will be rewarded. You have to really trust that. If not, why work so hard? So at the end of the day, and I, I worry about that out there right now, is that really being taught to the same degree it was taught to me that at the end of the day, you have to believe if you work harder, you'll beat the person you're going against or you'll do well in whatever endeavor you have. I know for some people, Maybe it's a little harder because you're, whether you're dealing with racial issues, whether you're dealing with other issues you're dealing with, that's all true. I mean, that's real. But at the end of the day, you have to believe this objective truth that hard work will be rewarded. That's my advice to you. Go, you want something? Go work for it. You don't expect someone to give it to you. You go work really, really hard. And uh, I'm, I think it will happen for you. Absolutely. So to wrap up, Coach Meyer, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and we know our viewers will value hearing from you. And to everyone watching, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of our Sport Management YouTube channel. We'll see you again soon.